Welcome to episode 109 of the Ask Achieve Show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and nutrition. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Peck, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing how many days a week you should train for maximized muscle growth, how to increase the amount of push-ups you can do, and whether or not deadlifting is healthy for your back. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What is up, Achievers? It's episode 109. Um, so Kendrick uh, had his first pediatrician appointment uh, yesterday. Not his first. His four months. I mean, four months. Sorry. <laughs> um, but his first one actually at a, like a... Like a is it a clinic? Is yeah, it a, a yeah. Hospital? So we had our his first three months. We had a um, pediatrician who actually comes to your home and does like well baby visits and um, mom visits or like well mom visits. I guess yeah, they call them. Which um, is awesome. It was really awesome, and so she was really great, and he got to get like his first shots at home, which was really nice because it was like I could just go right to nursing him afterwards to yeah. kind of soothe him. Um, but yeah, this was the first one that was in an actual pediatrician's office. Yeah. It's, it's been funny cause I, I was, I was definitely like had these like sort of visions of like this happening, just like being at a little, like a hospital setting and having him get shots and like the whole process. And it was just like funny to have it actually like happen in real time, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny. Um, obviously the shots weren't too uh, pleasant for him, but, um, oddly enough he's just been like not oddly enough he's just been super lethargic today so yeah. he's just been like sleeping constantly um so we're kind of utilizing this as an opportunity podcast right now but <laughs> um and he slept through the night for the first time which we're gonna say that's not a coincidence and definitely not correlated it's definitely because <laughs> he's been so good at self-soothing and sleeping totally it's definitely <laughs> because we've been incorporating lots of sleep we have been incorporating lots of sleep strategies yeah now. best practices yeah. and it's definitely what we've been doing and not because he got some vaccinations. No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> but, uh, but last night was great. Yeah. Although you, I mean, you couldn't fall asleep because you thought there was something wrong. Oh, it's check. like the ultimate double-edged sword because <laughs> all I've been wanting is for him to sleep through the night and like for him and for us, you know, like I want him to get good restful sleep and I want us to get good restful sleep. And so I've just been constantly wishing for that. And then last <laughs> night I woke up at like two, which is when I, well, he like got a little fussy around 1am. So I, I woke up obviously to that, but he put himself right back to sleep and I was like, okay, great. This is great. And then I woke up at like 2.30 and he hadn't woken up. And so then of course I like showed my, I like put my iPhone light on him to make sure he was okay. And then I woke up at 3.30 and I like put my ear up to him to make sure he was breathing. And <laughs> I woke up at 4.30 and I was like wide awake at 4.30 cause I couldn't believe that he hadn't woken up yet. Yeah. And I was like, he needs to like, he must be hungry like should I wake him up and I was like don't be crazy this the goal is to get him to sleep all night um and then he woke up at 5 15 I think only because Jason got up to get to go to work yeah and you probably heard him um, it's just such a drastic difference between what happened the last like probably like week and a half or so yeah he's been in the definite like the form of sleep regression and like yeah. waking up every hour um, our, our brains have just at least mine has just been in a complete fog for the past couple of weeks just yeah. because <laughs> It's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit rough <laughs> uh, at, on the nighttime side of things, but yeah. hopefully we're on the upswing now. Yeah. yeah. Um, we actually, if you're a parent listening, we did one of the courses from Taking Kara Babies. It's like Kara spelled C-A-R-A. Um, you can find her on Instagram, but she, I've been following her for a while and I was like, why haven't I actually bought one of her courses yet? Yeah. So I bought her course and for the three to four month stage and it has been really really helpful yeah so i mean highly highly recommend actually yeah another thing that we got was um is, is it love every baby? i think it's love every baby love every baby or it might just be love every 
I think it might be just love every actually. Yeah. Um, but it's a super cool concept. They basically, it's kind of like what Birchbox does or BarkBox or all these different types of like direct to consumer boxes that they ship. Um, but this, these are like specifically toys that are correlate with whatever kind of time frame that your baby's in. So obviously Kendrick is in this like three to four month range and yeah, just all sorts of toys that were like for teething and for like, like crinkly pieces of like uh, fabric that he can stick in his mouth and that are really? all like BPA free and all that sort of good stuff. Um, Developmentally appropriate yes, toys yeah. for their stage. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to know like all the research that went into each and every toy and it was just, it was just super cool. So yeah, yeah. That, was, that was our pseudo, uh, that was our Valentine's Day gift to each other. <laughs> gift for Kendrick. <laughs> and it was like, it's something that I've been looking at for so long. Like I just, I kept going on and being like, is this worth it? I don't know. It's really expensive. It's like, I mean, it's moderately expensive, but like, and it's just toys. Is Jason going to think it's stupid? So then I, I wouldn't buy it. And then I kept going back and forth. And I probably went on it so much that he started getting ads for it. <laughs> and then he ended up buying it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so funny because I've been thinking about it for so long. So <laughs> Super funny. it was really good. Um, all right. So you wanted to start off, not necessarily with a question that we got, but a topic of discussion. Yeah. yeah. So there's this account, of, account I follow on, um, on Instagram and they routinely post uh, research articles and they don't like take a stance with uh, like with the article. They just kind of like put it out there as a way to um, provoke some like, you know, thought provoking discussion. Um, and the study that they put out was the question was how many times per week should a muscle be trained to maximize hypertrophy? So like what kind of frequency is best? Should I work out once a week, twice a week, three times a week? And the finding was kind of interesting actually. Um, they found that there was no difference in hypertrophy between groups as long as volume was held constant. And so the example that he gave was, so let's say I do four sets of 10 bench press on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This won't give me any better benefits in hypertrophy than doing 12 sets of 10 reps bench press in just one day of the week. Um, and he just kind of provided as like a, it, ju it just helps to provide a little more wiggle room in terms of how you'd like to schedule your training for the week, um, given that the hypertrophy is held constant if the volume is matched. And so I thought that was like a, just like a super interesting study. And I thought it was a good time to just bring up just the concept of research in general and kind of like what you can take from it and what you can kind of take with a grain of salt. And I think first of all, with these research, research studies, it's really difficult to try to find like a lot of validity in, in them um, unless you really take a deeper dive into um, how they actually conducted it. Because what happens with a lot of these research studies is they take place in um, like universities and they take untrained college kids and it'll take like a handful of them. They don't take like hundreds and hundreds of people because it's tough to go through the course of this research study um, and have a lot of people do it. So they'll take like, let's say 10 people, 10 college kids that haven't trained before and they run them through this study and they're not really sure of what the kids are eating, what they're doing from like a, like a recovery standpoint, like are they sleeping? They're probably not sleeping and some of them might be sleeping, some might not be. And so it's just always so difficult unless they had these kids in this like chamber laboratory of a gym and are conducting these study this way. But it's just like all research studies have to be taken with a grain of salt because they're not in actually like controlled environments. So that's number one. And then number two, when these research studies come out, sometimes like the New York Times or some sort of magazine articles will pick up these stories and then they'll, they'll flash them as these headlines. And they'll say something to the effect of, 
working out multiple times a week is inferior to working out once a week. And they take like something just totally out of context. Um, and I think it's just like what this article is stating is that if you only have one to two times a week to work out, that's totally fine. You can still get plenty of hypertrophy gains um, as long as you're constantly uh, thinking about how to progressively overload, right? Yeah. Um, it's not to say that one is better than the other or that you should do all of your sets in one day. It's not, definitely not saying that. Um, and then the final piece of it all is research studies don't really take practicality into account because again, it's just a complete experiment for them um, and not really taking into account just real world dynamics. So like if you are doing 12 sets of 10 bench presses, like you have to use such a low percentage of your one rep max in order to complete all the sets. Unless you're taking like 10 to 15 minutes in between sets to try to recover from that stimulus. But what that basically means is that you're utilizing a lot less strain on your body. And so maybe this worked for this research study of four to six to eight weeks. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, from a long-term perspective, I, I, I just have a tough time really believing that doing all the volume in one day would match from a hypertrophy perspective if someone worked out three to four times a week and distributed that stress. Because now if you distribute it, now you, you can recover better, you can recover better between sets, you can use higher loads for each of those days, which means better strength, which means better potential for hypertrophy. Like there's all these different variables that needed to be taken in, into account. And so always taking research articles, especially research articles that are kind of like headline news on these uh, like publications with a grain of salt because there's just a lot of um, potential validity errors in them. Yeah, I mean, I think you said everything that I would have said um, about that as well. It's the, yeah. main, the main thing being to just take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it, like some other examples are when um, there's a research study about like um, you burn the most amount of fat in the fat burning zone and that was like, taken, like blown way out of context. Um, Tabata training, that was taken way out of context and everyone did Tabata training for like 10 years. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, foam rolling, you, uh, foam rolling isn't as effective so no one should ever do foam rolling. Like there's all these different like things that have popped up and have been like headline news but you just have to like take a step back a little bit and understand where the research was conducted and how it was conducted and um, just understanding that it all needs to be taken with a grain of salt, basically. Yeah, I mean, we, we really appreciate research and we appreciate the scientific side of things. Totally. We also really appreciate the anecdotal side of things. And we really mm -hmm. appreciate having 12 years of experience under our belts and just seeing in real life what works for people. And yeah. like, so for us, if we just read a scientific study and didn't actually train people in real life, we would read that study and be like, well, so basically you could get everything that you want to get done over the course of the week in one day, why wouldn't you just do that? Yeah, so much right? more effective. So, so much, much more, more effective. <laughs> yeah, more efficient. Like you just do it all in one day. But knowing what it's like to train people and knowing what it's like to train, we're like, that's insane. Like nobody <laughs> would do 12 sets of 10 in one day. Yeah. But, and, and like that would cause all these different issues down the road. And so we know that like because we've had the experience, but we can see how when reading a research study, it could be misinterpreted by somebody who doesn't have necessarily the the anecdotal or real life experience. Totally. So it's very important to have both of those things. And it's important also to not dismiss scientific research. Like it's very important yeah. to read it, um, but to take it like we keep saying, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Cool. All right. So we have um, two questions for us today. The first one is from 
Erica Varga, 17. <laughs> Lots of errors. Rs. <laughs> errors. Um, she asks, what, what is the best way to increase the number of push-ups you can do? Mm. Uh, this is a good question. Um, you know, how about I'll start off with what you don't want to do, but most people typically do. And then you want to go with kind of like a general, like our best practices for increasing push-ups and probably like pull-ups or really any sort of body weight type of exercise. Yeah. Um, the way people typically train, let's say push-ups and pull-ups and these sort of body weight movements um, that they're trying to get better at and they're trying to improve numbers at um, is basically just doing sets to failure. So they'll do, let's say, three sets on that day of push-ups. And if, you, if they can do um, 10 push-ups total, they'll do 10 push-ups on that first set. But now what happens is you end up fatiguing yourself so much that the second set, maybe you get seven reps. And then again, you're so fatigued that maybe the third set, you only get three reps. So what happens there is now you've done three sets and you've done 20 total push-ups. And you're also just gassed. And by the end of like those second two sets, you're kind of utilizing not great form. Your lower back is sagging, your elbows are flaring, and it's just not an optimal position. And so what we'd like to do for these sort of body weight movements is utilize some different principles. And I'll have Lauren go into uh, more detail here. Yeah, so one of the principles is grease the groove. Um, so this is a principle that we got from Pavel Tatsulin, who's the CEO of Strong First. Um, and or the founder of Strong First, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and so grease the groove basically means doing the amount of reps that you can do with like flawless form without going to failure and actually stopping yourself a couple reps before going to failure. So mm -hmm. even leaving a couple repetitions in the tank. And so what that accomplishes is you're able to then reproduce the set that you just did over and over and over again because you didn't go to failure. You didn't completely tax your body. So when Jason was giving the example, did you say, what did you say? That they do 10 reps first and then they go down, but that's like their max and then yep. they go down to seven, seven and then and they go down to three. three. So they ended up doing 20 reps. So instead what you could do is if 10 is your absolute max, maybe you do sets of eight and you would do a set of eight in your first set, a set of eight in your second set and a set of eight in your third set. Then you didn't ever go to failure. You didn't like burn out in any of those sets, but you got 24 reps in as opposed to 20. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so even though you could do 10, you don't you yeah. stop yourself a little sooner and you get that overall volume up and and the way to increase your the amount of reps that you can do is just by increasing gradually increasing the amount of volume that you do of that movement yeah um another like strategy that we like to use is kind of waving the loads um and so this this works with strength training like with lifting weights but it also works with body weight exercises and so what we mean by that is having like a light medium and heavy day um, throughout the week. So mm -hmm. a light day in terms of a push-up would actually mean maybe elevating the hands. So doing an incline push-up and making it, just making the push-up a little bit easier for you so that you can do higher repetitions. So maybe you put your hands up on a bench and you do sets of 12 or 15. Mm. And then a medium day would be doing bodyweight push-ups and you do your sets of eight. And then a heavy day would be maybe actually adding a band around your upper back, making it extra challenging on that day, but you do sets of three or four. Mm -hmm. um, and then that way you're just getting, you're working all these different, you're working volume, but you're also working strength and you're working all these different aspects of the push-up that eventually you're going to, and, and you're training multiple times a week. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to help you eventually increase your numbers as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, going back to that previous example that you talked about, now you've done three sets of eight, which is four more push-ups than your 
max out sets, but also your form and quality is probably so much yeah. better yeah. than the other uh, the other way. And so now if you want to improve the following week, maybe you can do three sets of eight or even doing, I mean, sorry, four sets of eight. <laughs> I was like, or if you feel like you can't hit four sets of eight, you can do four sets of seven. And that's still 28 reps and that's still more total volume. So we're looking at more, more total volume with as good as form of, as possible. And when you just train to fatigue, you typically get less total volume with a lot less optimal form. And so that's what we're always trying to avoid. But a lot of people try to boil the ocean by going all out in that first set and it really diminishes their returns on the subsequent set. So this is what you always want to consider for these skills that require a high level of um, just efficiency. Yeah, so definitely the same goes for pull-ups as well. Um, mm -hmm. Those would yeah. be the two main ones, push-ups and pull-ups for body weight in terms of body weight exercises where it's really, really important not to just go to failure because it becomes so taxing and you just end up losing the ability to keep going with that exercise yeah. that day. Yeah, handstands, like anything that really requires just a lot of alignment. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, sweet. And then our third question comes from agamiri.felix and they said, is deadlifting healthy for the back or not? Mm. Uh, yeah, another good question. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so many different variants of this question. Like, is deadlifting healthy for your back or not? Is squatting good for your knees or not? Are lunges good for your knees or not? And there's all these sorts of variations because so many people have just put out these like lines in the sand of squats are bad for your knees, deadlifts are bad for your back. And like, I think a lot of it sometimes comes from like the medical community because it's like they see so many people getting injured probably with less than optimal form with these exercises. And they're like, you know, maybe it's just not good for the population to do these exercises. And they're using it as kind of like a, a risk assessment, basically. Um, and for us, what we think is that as long as volume and load and intensity are all managed appropriately and you progressively overload these variables very systematically, very conservatively over time and think about long-term gains, then these are all very good for your body. And form. Yeah, and form, yeah. What happens, what happens is people tend to either use less than optimal form or they start to go too aggressive with scaling the volume, the load, and the intensity. So they feel good one day, let's say they squat 100 pounds um, for five reps, and the next week they're like, you know what, I wanna test my max. And then they, <laughs> they do a one rep max at, let's say, 150 pounds, and then suddenly their back doesn't feel great, their knees don't feel great, um, it's not a great situation. But as long as, we think that as long as you're carefully, um, progressively overloading, we think that's really beneficial, because stress is good as long as it's appropriate amount of stresses. I think uh, stress gets a little bit of a bad rap, but we would never grow if we never had stress to us, whether it's physical, mental, emotional stressors, because that's how we just move on and, and, and get gains, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely, again, like I, like you said, I can see why like a medical professional might say, don't deadlift or deadlifts are bad for your back because they've seen people come in and say, I was deadlifting and I threw out my back. <laughs> yeah. um, but they also see probably just as many, if not more people say, I bent over to pick up my kid and I threw out my back. True, yeah. It's the bending over part without having proper mechanics and without having built up the capacity to do it. And yes. so that's what Jason's talking about with progressive overload and with using good mechanics. And so 
in fact, deadlifting is really good for your back if you do it systematically with great totally. form because then you're going to have that movement pattern ingrained in you when you do go to pick up your kids or when you do go pick something up off the floor, you're going to do it in a more efficient way that's actually that you're that you've trained your body for. Yeah. And you're going to be much less likely to throw out your back. So, it's uh yeah, I think that it gets pinpointed pinpointed as something that's like this tends to be the culprit for for um, injury, but it's really how people are doing it that is the culprit for injury, not the movement itself. Yeah, that's a really good point in terms of like deadlifting, just building up your body's tolerance and capacity to absorb stress and absorb loads. Right. And so, you know, you could argue that deadlifting is more hurtful than your back than sitting on a couch. But what if that person that doesn't deadlift and is very inactive then goes and yeah, moves a box moves, like, yeah. to move houses Re- or really something. Does, <laughs> really does anything. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, moving houses, moving their kids, whatever it might be. And suddenly they're under in a position where their back is uh, their, their back is receiving stress that is exceeding their ability to handle and, to- uh, and tolerate that load. And there's an injury. And mm-hmm. so I would argue that deadlifting is uh, healthier for your back as long as you do it with the, the, th- the considerations we mentioned before. Um, then just being totally inactive. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, there's a number of ways we can spin this, but um, we definitely think deadlifting uh, is, is healthy for your back. Um, we'd recommend getting a coach to look at your form and to also kind of monitor the way you are programming for yourself, but um, definitely don't want to demonize exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, cool. Well, those are all of our answers to your burning questions for today. Thank you so much for sending them in. And if you have questions of your own, you can submit them to us at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram. If you like the podcast, we'd be super, super grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.